You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, upc.org. Every week during Lent, we're creating space in our lives to hear stories of hope and to share stories of hope with one another. We're doing it in worship through these uh, stories, which we'll have every Sunday. We're also doing it in our small groups more intimately as we share uh, hope together. And our mission here at UPC is to share hope in Jesus Christ. Now, as you begin to do that, as you begin to talk about hope with the people that God has put in your life, your neighbors, what you're going to find is they're going to be a little bit suspicious. See, they're going to tend to, to hear the word hope as a word that describes what you would like to have happen, what you wish would happen in the world, but what you're really not sure it actually will. See, they won't hear in that what you mean by it, what the Bible means by the word hope, which is a confident expectation in Jesus Christ. They'll think you're talking about just hope, like we all have hope, and we hope in hope. No, we're not sharing hope in hope. We're sharing hope in Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, we need to understand the essence of hope. And so over these next six weeks, we're going to let the Apostle Paul be our guide. And we're going to go with him through these uh, four chapters, Romans chapter 5 through Romans chapter 8. Uh, really the heart of this great book called Romans. And it's really a case for hope. I feel like the Apostle Paul is, is saying... In this section, let me tell you what hope is. Knowing that there is a skepticism in our lives. There's a skepticism in his life. And we're going to begin today with uh, endurance. Exhibit A is endurance. Because I think the greatest hope killer is our suffering. And you and I suffer. We do. We suffer personally, and it may be in very small ways, and we tend to think, oh, it's just this. But you know what? If it's suffering, it's suffering. I remember when uh, one of our kids knocked a bowl of Cheerios onto the floor and burst into tears. And I didn't rebuke him. I didn't say, this is not injustice. This is not death or sickness. Who, how, how could you possibly cry over Cheerios? We've got a whole box in the pantry. No, that was his suffering in that moment. And your suffering is as real as it needs to be to break your heart. And Jesus says to you this morning, I have hope for you. Hope that can withstand every trial, every pain, every moment of fear, trembling, and injustice that you and I can face. It's a hope that not only persists through suffering, but it grows in suffering. That's what Paul is witnessing too as he begins this great section of this great book, the book of Romans. So I would invite you to open your Bible, if you brought one, or that black book in the pew rack in front of you, to Romans chapter 5. And I want to briefly reflect with you on the first, principally the first five verses. So let's stand together if you're able, and would you read... With me, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. you find that on page 917 of the Pew Bible. 
It's the Apostle Paul writing about his hope in Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. Say that as a reminder that this is God's word, and uh, it is perfect. And what you're about to hear is only just really close. (laughs) And uh, if you read this section carefully, as I trust you will this week in your small group, you will see that Paul boasts three times. There are three boasts here. I want to reflect on them with you. The first is a boasting in hope. The second is a boasting in suffering. And the third is a boasting in God. First, boasting in hope. Verse 2, Paul says, we boast in our hope. Clearly, there was some boasting going on in Romans. And I don't want to miss the opportunity to call to your attention a little bit of extra-biblical evidence that points us towards the life of Jesus Christ. I get asked from time to time, is there anything in history outside of the Bible that tells us about Jesus Christ? And there is. In the year A.D. 49, Roman historian Suetonius tells us that the emperor, whose name was Claudius, quote, expelled the Jews from Rome because they were constantly rioting at the instigation of Crestus. It's the Latin word for a toothpaste that they used back in that day. (laughs) No, Crestus was Suetonius' understanding of this figure who was provoking quite a controversy among the Jews. Jesus Christ. There was something going on. He calls it rioting. I think we're safe in assuming that what was happening there is that there were believers who had come back from Pentecost from Rome, they came back having completed the pilgrimage and they heard about this great hope of the world, Jesus Christ, and they began to tell fellow Jews about this. This was the founding of the church in Rome. And this controversy uh, was rather dramatic as people boasted in this new hope of Jesus Christ and others had other hopes that they boasted in. And the Roman emperor didn't know what to do about it, so he said, y'all just get out of the city. They couldn't distinguish between Christians and Jews, and to them they were just all Jews. This was an internal dispute, and they were expelled. It's AD 49, and Paul writes the letter of uh, what we call Romans in probably in AD 57, 56. And he writes, therefore, to a church he's never visited, but a church that knows suffering. And he says, we boast in our hope. Now, Paul's not commending boasting. I mean, there's nothing more annoying than somebody boasting, except maybe a religious person boasting. 
except maybe a religious person boasting in the context of suffering, right? And Paul is not for boasting. He's not saying you ought to just get out there and boast a lot. In fact, he says boasting is excluded in Romans 3.27. Every time he talks about boasting in the first four chapters, it's negatively. But so why now he says we boast three times? Well, boasting was, uh, was an experience of warfare. This is most likely where Paul gets this language of boasting. Ancient warfare had a practice, and it was, it was, it was basically um, ancient psyops, psychological operations. As the two armies would draw near to one another, there would be this sort of ritual boasting. And you'd, you know, you'd raise your swords with kind of a huzzah, rally your troops. And you'd say something you thought was really mean, <laughs> really scary and intimidating. And we have examples of this in the Bible. In Judges chapter 9, uh, we read about an ambush in Abimelech's day. And uh, when the, the uh, ambush reveals itself, someone says, well, what, what becomes of your boasting now? Goliath boasted. Do you remember Goliath when he says to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the field. And David jumps right in. He plays the game too. He boasts. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord. This very day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. It's a lot of trash talk before the fighting begins. And really what it's about is trying to undermine your confidence. Trying to actually transfer your confidence from what you got on your side, your boys, to what they got on their side. Because maybe if you could become more confident in what opposes you than in what supports you, you would not face the confrontation with much courage or hope. So I think Paul's point here is that hope always comes to us in a competitive environment. There are always alternatives to the hope in which Paul boasts. One scholar says, commenting on, on Paul's use of boasting, says, in boasting, the individual declares what he relies on and what is his support in life, i.e., what his life is built on. What's your boast? What is your life built on? In what are you confident? And really, here's the first point. It said, enduring hope has a worthy object. Paul says we have a worthy object. But it's a competitive environment. There are a lot of other things that you and I hope for. When Paul says in this this text, hope does not disappoint, some of us go, oh, yes, it does. Hope does absolutely disappoint. And the reason for that is there are other hopes than the hope of which Paul talks, enduring hope and a worthy object. Paul's undoubtedly picking up on the theme that runs all the way through the Bible. It's reflected in Jeremiah 9, uh, 23, and Renee read it to us before. Thus says the Lord, do not, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. See, there's nothing wrong with, with wisdom or might or wealth. In fact, they're all good gifts that God gives us. 
But the Bible teaches us, don't let those be your ultimate confidence, or it will be disappointed. And yes, your hope will disappoint you. If your hope is in your wisdom, capacity to make good decisions, or your might, your strength in the world, or in your wealth, your money. So what would it mean to have these things and use them but not boast in them? Well, I think about, I was running this week and I ran by a, a, a truck. And it was a nice truck and it had a business logo on it. And I, he, said he was a business contractor. So what if you're a Christian uh, business contractor and you own your own business and which means that you've got, in some sense, all three of these things. You've got wisdom, you've got to make good decisions. You've got might, you've got sort of economic power and influence in the community. Uh, and you've got wealth, you're making money. You'd say to yourself, I had better not let any of these three things be the thing that I ultimately hope for. I'm going to trade in them, but I'm going to hope in Jesus Christ, my Lord. And so wisdom becomes then different. I I will pray when I make my decisions because Jesus is my ultimate hope and I want to be guided by him. When I think about my might and my power, well, then I face ethical choices differently, don't I? There's a temptation to fudge on my reporting of income. But I won't do that because my hope is not in my capacity to do that. My hope is in Jesus Christ and he stands for justice. And my wealth. As a Christian business owner, I will know that the purpose of my business is not to make money, despite what everybody tells me. The purpose of my business is to serve my neighbor. And so I think about my money differently. I think about it as a means to an end, not the end itself. And I become generous. Boast in hope. This is why the uh, Westminster uh, Catechism, the Shorter Catechism, begins with this profound first question. Uh, What is uh, the chief end of of man or people? Well, it's to uh, glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so the Apostle Paul says, in a competitive environment, those who have an enduring hope will learn to place it in a worthy object. We boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God forever. There's a second boast. It's boasting in suffering. We see in this first boast that an enduring hope has a worthy object. Here we're going to see that an enduring hope grows in suffering. Verse 3, Paul says, very next verse, and not only that, not only boasting in hope, but we also boast in our sufferings. I don't know if you saw this, that uh, we lost a not only a brother in Christ, but a, a, a Hall of Fame baseball a player. Uh, it, was, it was last, a week ago. New York Mets' Gary, uh, the kid, Carter, uh, passed away. And a uh, great guy, by all accounts. But the kid said something once back in the 80s. He said this, sometimes... You just have to play in pain. Now, I think for him it was kind of a throwaway line. He was being interviewed after a baseball game. 
And uh, he, he, late in the game, he had outrun a dribbling grounder to first base. And the interviewer said, you know, kid, how is it that you were able to run so hard after years of playing behind home plate as a catcher? You know, in that deep crouch, his knees were just virtually shot. But he was able to run and outpace the toss. And Kid said this really simple thing. He says, well, sometimes you have to play in pain. And it's true. And the truth of it penetrated the heart of a writer at that time who was deep in emotional stress. If you want to read more about this, go to the Wall Street Journal and look for Andrew Clavin's article. Uh, I think it was on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday. And Clavin says, uh, that night I was in my own room, sitting in darkness, smoking cigarette after cigarette with only one thing going in my, running through my mind, and that was, how can I continue to live? He said, my emotional pain had caught up to me, and I'd begun to think that my beautiful wife and my newborn baby would be better without me alive. And I began to think about how I could end my life. And it was at that very moment that the background noise, this radio broadcast of a baseball game that he had long since tuned out, kind of came into his awareness. And what he heard was this. He heard Gary Carter say, sometimes you just have to play in pain. And I said, wow. It just sounded right to him. And not only that you have to, but that you can. He thought, I can do that. I can play in pain. And it became the moment that would turn his life around. And Andrew Clavin would uh, come to faith in Jesus Christ. He would get counseling for his emotional health. He would give up addictions that had plagued his life. And he said, I never could have realized that I was this close to happiness in that dark moment. But it wasn't that Gary Carter pushed religion on him. Carter was a very strong Christian. But it was simply that he gave witness to hope in the midst of suffering at that point when he needed to hear it. Clavin said he lit a candle when a little bit of light made all the difference. And Gary Carter had learned to play in pain, not just the pain of his knees, not just the pain of grumpy managers, not just the pain of irascible reporters, but the pain of having an autistic grandchild and the pain of the brain cancer that eventually would take his life. And he did so because of hope in Jesus Christ. Now, the, the prepositions are very important here. Notice that Paul says, uh, we boast in our sufferings. It's not that we boast because of our sufferings, or on the other hand, that we boast around our sufferings, but we boast in them. A lot of us think that what the Bible teaches is that we boast because of our sufferings. We boast because we suffer, as though suffering were somehow a good thing. We get this kind of masochistic spirituality that God must be happiest when I hurt the most. We try to, some people try to outdo one another in pain. and We love morbid, depressing images of religious scenes because we think this is what God wants for us. And then when we do suffer, we rack our brains trying to figure out what does it mean? Because God must be trying to lovingly tell me something by hurting me. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
We don't boast because we suffer. The point of this passage that Paul says is that he, God loves us. He's proven his love for you by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your stead. He loves you. And Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for your harm. To give you a future with hope. Well, we don't boast because of our suffering. And on the other hand, we don't boast around our suffering. As though God's love is only present to us when we're not suffering. I don't know where we get this idea that when we suffer, God must no longer love us. And in our prosperity, of course, we're experiencing God's love. That's a fallacy as well. You have to be a 21st century American to believe this kind of thing. It's funny, a lot of our young adult students, they, 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 they try faith in Jesus Christ and they set out for a while with a life of prayer and faith, believing God loves them in Jesus Christ, and then they come up against some suffering and they go, well, what happened there? And we kind of go, well, I don't know where you got the idea that God promised you a happy, a perfectly trouble-free life. In the last 100 years, I was just reading this Cato study, the mortality rates have dropped, infant mortality rates, tenfold. We have added 30 years to the lifespan of the average American. I mean, our world has changed. We're so insulated from suffering, we just think that something's gone wrong when we face suffering. Well, nothing's gone wrong with you and your relationship with God. What's gone wrong has gone wrong for a very long time. It's about living in a fallen world. And the Apostle Paul himself in Acts 14.22 says, Through much tribulation, we enter the kingdom of God. We don't boast because or around our suffering, but we boast in it. When we are in our suffering, the Apostle Paul says, we still have a hope. We still have a boast in Jesus Christ. Even in our suffering. And we know that because who Jesus Christ is, that he can actually develop, enhance, strengthen, grow our hope in the context of suffering. That's real endurance. See, enduring hope grows in suffering. Peter talks this way also, and he uses a different image. He uses the image of a refining fire. He says, you are being held secure, but during this time of suffering and tribulation, there's a process in your life. Your faith is precious as gold, and it's tested likewise by fire. It's the image, I guess, you know, of gold being heated up, and I think gold is heavier than its impurities, the dross. And when it, under a certain temperature, the dross begins to float to the surface. And then the goldsmith will skim it off. And, and Peter's saying there's the same process in your life. I think Paul would put it differently. I think Paul would say, you know, what's happening is when you suffer, you begin to transfer your confidence from other hopes, lesser hopes, other boasts. You bring it back to the center, to Jesus Christ, because Jesus Christ is always faithful in the midst of suffering. And we sometimes we realize that. Is your prayer life not like it never is when you are in pain? You're coming back to the center. Jesus Christ is purifying your faith. Through suffering, the forges of life are forging your eternal character. You're becoming more of who you really are in Jesus Christ and your hope is growing.
Yes, we do play in pain. The third boast comes at the end, and we didn't read it, but it's in verse 11. If you look down your page, you see Paul says, but more than that, more than that, we even boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Which is to say that enduring hope not only has a worthy object, not only grows in suffering, but counts on grace. I, I want to just give you kind of a part two or the rest of the story on something I mentioned in, in the, I think, the second week of January. I told you about a friend of mine who was dying, and it had crushed me. It was very sudden. He was at the gym working out one day when he started to bleed profusely. Uh, it's, it's called uh, old age, what is it, a hematoma. I've forgotten the name of it now. But it, it comes on late in life and all of a sudden, and it can be absolutely deadly as it appeared to be in his case, just bleeding out of everything. And by the time they got him to the hospital, he had lost 10 units of blood, and the physicians called his family and said, you've got to come quickly, it's a matter of hours, and you're going to have to come and say goodbye to him. He was dying. His lungs were filling with blood. And as his family gathered around his bedside, he attempted to offer them a blessing. <laughs> he said to me on the phone, he said, George, it's better to do that if you want to bless your kids while you're feeling well. Just, you'll do it better. <laughs> but the, he said that the doctors tried to hail Mary pass in the final moments of his life, and they gave him an injection, a medication that shouldn't have worked, but it did. And, he, and he, he's still alive. He spent uh, two to three weeks in the ICU, and now he's got this... Uh, Vig- rigorous regimen of blood transfusions, eight hours, and it's, it's grueling. But what he said to me is, you know, George, this thing about Jesus is real. I, I just had this sense as my life was ebbing away that he was present to me. And in that moment, it wasn't that he had a great hope or that his Character was so refined and purified. It was simply that Jesus Christ was there. Jesus was with him. He says, I'll never face death with any kind of fear again. I just know he is real. This hope that you and I have, it's real. I couldn't shut him up. And now he said, you know, he was as real for me when I thought I was dying as he was real for me as I struggled through this recovery. But it, Paul says we're boasting now, finally, not in our hope, not in our suffering, but in God through Jesus Christ. I love the way Paul presents Jesus to us in, um, in verse 2. He says, through whom, that's Jesus, Jesus Christ, through whom, through Jesus, we have obtained access to this grace. This phrase, it's one word in Greek, obtained access, is, is about making an introduction to an honored person. It, have you ever met someone who's really famous? I, I remember um, when I was a young adult, I met Alvin Plantinga. Now, he's not maybe famous enough for most of us to know his name, but I'll tell you, Alvin Plantinga gets to put on his business card, solve the problem of evil. 
Some people would dispute that, but he's a philosopher, uh, recently retired from Notre Dame, and he's an absolute genius. He's a Christian philosopher, Alvin Plantinga. And I got to meet him at a lecture he gave at Harvard. And a friend of his, who's also a friend of mine, introduced me to him, and I could barely speak. My knees were knocking. I had no right to be speaking to Alvin Plantinga. I, I couldn't have been more impressed if I were t- face-to-face with Augustine. Because I think Alvin Plantinga is the Augustine of our day. And, and all I could say to him was, thank you for your work. And I blushed and I, I receded into the darkness. And, and, and here, what, what, this is kind of what Paul's saying that Jesus Christ is doing. It's not that we're being introduced to Jesus. It's that Jesus Christ is introducing us to grace, he says. You, you and I have no right to know grace personally. See? But Jesus Christ says, I want to introduce you to my friend Grace. And I want my friend Grace to be introduced to you, to know you. That Grace could be the story of your suffering. So this is why Paul says it's through Jesus Christ that we boast in our hope. And at the end, he says, we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ introduces us to a grace. It's the work of God that sustains us even when there's nothing inside of us that would sustain us on our own. This is what it means to share his hope. See, Jesus has hope for you when you don't have hope for yourself, and so we share it in Jesus. This is why Paul says we're saved not only by his death, but by his life, because Jesus lives as a hopeful person in the world. And it's that hopeful life that he gives to you. He actually gives it to the Father on your behalf. I wanted to read to you the words of Karl Barth because he, this is from one of his sermons. It's in Deliverance to the Captives, and he gives a sermon to prisoners. And if you want to read Karl Barth, this is a, way, a great way to read him because he's speaking not out of his academic riches, but just to the common person in jail. And, and, and he identifies with them, as, as I do myself. And, and in, in this moment in his sermon, he says, let us stop speaking to one another and let's now speak to God. And I want to invite you, as you listen to these words, to address them as your very own, as though it were a prayer, to God. And here's what Professor Bart says, let us say, my life is bound up with you. See, he's making this introduction, Bart is now, to grace. My life is bound up with you. As the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of all men, you are also my Lord and God. I'm bound up with you. Not because I'm willing and able to face you. We're all unwilling and unable to do so. But because from all eternity, you willed to be bound up with me and truly are. Because my life is not in my own hands, but in yours. Whether I know you or not, whether I honor you or not, whether I love you or not. Because without my doing, you are also my king and judge. Because you are my justification, my peace, my joy, my salvation. Although I do not deserve and cannot deserve it. Because your son has become my brother. And because as the brother of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, I may be your child. In his entire life and death, your son and our brother has mightily yearned for you and joyfully confessed his hope in you. Declining to seek comfort and consolation, he relied on you. He trusted you. He obeyed you in the thick of the discomfort and desolation of human life, our life. 
Thus he proved to be your son. Thus he also acted as our brother, for he was obedient not as an individual, not for his own sake, but in the place of us all. In behalf of all humanity, in our behalf, he turned to you and sealed his existence with the great word, I hope in you. That's your hope. It's the hope of Jesus Christ offered on your behalf to the Father. Dear friends, let us put our confidence in the hope of Jesus Christ. The end of Pilgrim's Progress as Christian and Bunyan find themselves nearly overwhelmed by the great river that stands between them and the celestial city. Christian fears that he would drown, but Hopeful calls out to him with these great words, Be of good cheer, my brother. I feel the bottom, and it is good. Be of good cheer, my brothers and sisters. In Jesus Christ, we feel the bottom, and it is good. Let's pray. Dear God, we do have hope in and only in, but wonderfully in you. For through Jesus Christ, you have resolved all the crises of life. And while we await the resolution of the crises of our own existence, we wait with confidence. For in Jesus Christ, our feet have made contact with the bottom. And in him we have great confidence. So in him we boast. Take these tithes and offerings as expressions of hope. For we need not boast in our wealth, but are free this day to boast in your grace. We have no need of our wealth, but to share it with others. To give them an invitation into this same grace. And so we pray that whether we throw in the widow's might or the king's treasure, that it would be pleasing to you and that it would go in the power of your spirit to bless those near and far, that they might likewise stand in the hope we share in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.